morning and welcome to Real Life Online. Hope you're enjoying the snow because it seems like it just keeps coming. Uh, we got a couple quick things before we jump into our sermon today. First of all, if you missed our youth missions trip meeting, uh, that is available online. You can go to our website, reallifencw.com, and you can rewatch that meeting. There's also uh, paperwork on there. Um, if you want to get started on your support letters, we've put that stuff on there as well. We are taking almost any kid who wants to go 8th through 12th grade to New Orleans this August. Um, but you have to get your paperwork in by February 15th. You can turn that into the office. Uh, if you go to Manson, you can turn it into Mrs. Walters. Or if you go to Chelan, you can turn it into Mr. Pearl. Other than that, you can reach out for any kind of questions that you have. Second, if you are a teenager, we are doing an event today. Usually we do our big tubing event uh, at the last Sunday of, the, of January. That's not possible this year. So we are hosting a fun event up at Slidewaters today. We'll be in the parking lot at 1 p.m. We've got s'mores, we've got lunch, we've got games. Uh, we're just gonna do everything we can while still adhering to the rules. All you gotta bring is a mask and a good attitude maybe a little bit of a, a hungry belly, and we will take care of all those things for you. Other than that, let's say a quick prayer before we jump into other things today. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the good things that the snow brings. Uh, we thank you for uh, how we see the benefits of that um, throughout the summer. Uh, Lord, I do thank you for um, just this sermon series we've been in, for the way that it has um, really kind of challenged a lot of us. Um, Lord, I do pray that we would be able to look back on 2020 and be stronger, be better, be wiser because of it. And I ask for that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now to Australia, where they're facing those massive fires. The articles of impeachment against President Trump go to the full house with a vote expected this week. Boeing 737 passenger plane has crashed in Iran. Five-time NBA champion, former league MVP, Kobe Bryant died earlier this afternoon. The Iowa caucuses in chaos this morning. Britain is no longer part of the European Union. Breaking news from Lebanon. Beirut has been hit by a massive explosion. The scene in Minneapolis last night. Protests over the death of George Floyd, the black man who died in the custody of a white police officer. Hurricane Laura slamming ashore as a monster category four. Turkey has been struck by a powerful earthquake. This is the deadliest outbreak of Ebola on record. Coronavirus. 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 Coronavirus cases skyrocketing. The Olympic Games is Tuesday, which will be postponed for a year. Walmart is running out of toilet paper and cleaning supplies. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. Now to the ongoing crisis in Puerto Rico, which just can't seem to catch a break. Would you shut who is up, man? Listen, who? Yeah, there's nothing smart about you, Joe. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. Congressman John Lewis, an icon of the nation's civil rights movement, has died. Murder hornets arriving in the United States for the first time and ever just ready for this Jumanji game to be over with. Yeah, remember no. when we were excited about 2020? Hey, good morning. Welcome to Real Life Online. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Billy. I work for Real Life as a campus pastor up in Brewster, and we've had that campus going now for going on our fourth year, but the... We got a little bit COVIDed in the last year, so uh, we're, we're fully looking forward to continuing that once we get out of this. I uh, got to give a couple shout outs to my good friends up in the Brewster, Bridgeport, Pateras area, K-Dub, Tiff-Dub, Little Dubs. Uh, you guys are running a home group. Thanks so much for what you're doing. Hope you guys are having a good morning. My good buddy, Mike, hope you're tuning in right now. Uh, 
and I'm excited to share with you. Um, we're, we're closing up this series called Hindsight's 2020, and we're looking back on what we're calling the worst year ever. And maybe it's not the worst year for everybody, but it was the worst year for a lot of people. And, and we're trying to see what are some things that we can learn out of that year and take it with us into 2021 and moving forward to make it better. And, and one of the things that I had noticed when I looked back on 2020 was how many times I'd be talking to myself in my head. You know, I'd be driving in my car, listening to the radio, and you're hearing about some news story or something going on, or, or you're, maybe you're on YouTube or Facebook and you see something, and, and you start talking to yourself in your head. Like, right? It, isn't it strange how we talk to ourselves? And I, I'm, I'm not the only one, because we all do this, right? We, we have conversations with ourselves, and it's like there's two of us in there, maybe sometimes three. If you've got four, I don't really want to know you, but that's besides the point. We have conversations with ourselves that often go like this. Well, I really should... I shouldn't, I, I ought to, I ought not to, you know, we have these conversations. Now, if you're a materialist, you, you view this differently because um, you just believe there's matter. There, there's no God, there's no self. You see this differently, you explain it differently. There's, there's no self. There aren't two selves in there talking to each other because there's no I, there's no me, there's no self. And, and the late Christopher Hitchens said it best and, and he was an atheist and, and he's a pretty smart guy. He says, he says, you don't have a body, you are a body. And if you're a materialist or an atheist or an agnostic, this, this is your worldview. Maybe you don't realize it, but this, this would be your worldview. So I tried to live a whole day. It, it was a really interesting quote. I, I'm, I'm like, okay, how, I'm going to try to live as if I'm just a body. And then I get home and there's these other biologies that are hanging around in my house, my wife, my son, and they have emotions and they have feelings and, and all this. And it, it just broke down for me. I, I, I couldn't do it. But regardless of how you explain this, the truth is somebody's in there talking, right? Somebody's in there talking. And the other theory is, well, we're imagining it. But then I'm like, well, who's imagining it? Well, there I am again. Anyways, these conversations that we have with ourselves cause us to eventually get to this really big question. And that big question is, why? Why? It's human nature, right? We can't help it. We, we have this extraordinary habit of imposing a reason on randomness. And something happens that doesn't make sense. And our minds go to work. And we're trying to make sense out of it. And what we do is we create a narrative. We create a narrative. Uh, now, now, going back to the biology thing, I, I don't know why pure biology and just matter would feel compelled to make sense out of a senselessness and purposelessness. Because if we're just matter, if we're just biology, there is no purpose. You can't have purpose and if there's just biology. But there's something in you, there's something in me, no matter what you believe or how you see the world, that you find yourself trying to make sense and find purpose in what happens. In fact, the worse the incident or the more personal it is, the harder I work and the harder you work, I don't know if you realize that, to make sense out of that thing. Because what's undeniable, regardless of your worldview, is that we create and often abide by our self-imposed narratives. And this can be a big problem. This can be a big problem. And it can lead us to become our own worst enemy. Now, we've all been our own worst enemy. We can look back on a time, maybe a season, and we can laugh about it, right? But, but sometimes it's not always funny. I mean, in fact, we've probably seen friends. We've seen family members. Definitely, we've seen famous people that, that did it up big. They blew up their marriage. They blew up their finances. They blew up their career or their health. And it's like watching a tragedy, you know, those tragic movies. It's in slow motion. You're like, just stop, just stop, just stop. Stop doing that. And here's what we think, and here's what I think. 
I, I know this is what you think. I would never, I would never do that. I would never do that. But you have the potential to do whatever you've seen someone else do. And the reason for that is because you have participated in it all your bad decisions. 100% of your bad decisions, you were a part of them. In fact, most of the time, you were the mastermind behind those decisions. And the reason you have that potential is because a single bad decision is always the first step toward becoming your own worst enemy. Think about this time when I was a freshman in high school, which is grade nine for my Canadian friends, if any of you are watching. Um, I was a freshman in high school and I wanted to go with my brother and he was gonna go to the Linden Fair, which I grew up in Sumas, so Linden's 15 minutes away. Now, for some crazy people, you can ride your bike that far, not me. You can't walk that far and you're definitely not gonna run that far, so you gotta get in a car and go there. But I didn't have my license. My older brother did, so I asked my dad, I say, Dad, can I please go to the fair with my brother? And he goes, no, you got to stay here. He's going out. You're not allowed to stay up that late. I'm like, all right, well, that sucks. And I was pretty mad about it. I'm peeved, right? I'm like, Ugh, come on, Dad. I can do this. I can stay up later. I'm a freshman. It's, it's summer. And uh, so he goes off. And so I said, okay, Dad, can I go to play basketball or do something at, at, at the courts in Sumas? And he said, sure, go on out. So I go out there, and I get out there, and I start to devise this plan in my mind. I'm going, you know what? I'm going to stay up past 9. I'm not going to go home at 9. So the people I start hanging out with there, a couple friends, a couple people from town, we decide, let's go get some alcohol. Let's go get some beers. And we'll, we'll, we'll start drinking some beers. And so we go out and do that. And, you know, we're just drinking, having a good time. We went out of town for a little bit, came back into town. And uh, all of a sudden it's 10, 11, maybe it was even close to midnight. And I'm just having the time of my life. Ha ha, Dad, you're never going to tell me what I can and can't do. All of a sudden he comes up behind me in the park and grabs me by the scruff, grabs me by my shirt, and he starts dragging me home. And see, a single bad decision. It was the first step to me becoming my own worst enemy because guess what? The rest of my, going into my sophomore year and the rest of my summer didn't look very good because I was grounded for a while. I got in big trouble. So today, we're going to talk about the need to pay attention to your narratives. Pay attention to your narratives. I mean, come on, guys. We look back at 2020 and we think, there's a lot of narratives going on in 2020 and not all of them are great and some of them are really hard to decipher and what's true and, and what should I follow and who's right and who should I vote for and what's the right thing to do here and is this a real thing or is this not a real thing? There were so many narratives and how do we know which one and should we pay attention to them? Should we question them? Should we not? There's all this stuff. And so I wanna make sure that we're all going on, on the same page today when we're talking about narratives. So to get us started, I wanna take you back in time. And some of you are there now if you're a high schooler, you're here now, but think back to high school for those of us who are older. I want you to think back to your internal narrative when it comes to your parents. Remember how dumb they were? Remember how uncool they were? Remember how they just didn't get it? And then, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I got in my 20s, I'm not in my 30s yet, but it only took me getting in my 20s where I started to realize, hey, they weren't really that dumb. They, they actually had some good ideas about how to live life and stuff like that. And, well, what happened? You had this narrative in high school, and you lived by that narrative, and it caused you to get in trouble. Remember, some of you had a narrative about high school that was like this, about school. It's such a waste of time. It's such a waste of time. Why am I in school? It's such a waste of time. And maybe you're young enough to where you have your $1,000 iPhone or your Galaxy S5, I don't even know what they have now, S6, something like that. You got your $1,000 smartphone and you're in school and you're just, you're just uh, t 
texting your friends, school's such a waste of time, school's such a waste of time that your parents bought for you, right? But that didn't occur to you because you just didn't see that. And why? Because you had an internal narrative and you believed it and you lived it out. And we still have those today. We still have them. We still have them. Here's some of the things that drift through our minds that shape our decisions. I'm going to go through these real quick. So, so just pay attention with me. We're going to be all trying to move in the same direction. I deserve better. I'm entitled to. You know, I should be further along in my job. I should be further along in my career. I'm not happy. I'm just not happy. I'm not happy. I'm just not happy. You know, he should be. If she really loved me, if she loved me, they don't care. They just don't care. They don't care about anything I have to say. They don't care about me. It doesn't matter. It won't make any difference. It won't make any difference if I tell them. Gosh, something's wrong with me. Something's really wrong with me. You know, that, that might actually be true for some of you. But I can't. I can't. I'm better than that. I'm better than them. They're losers. The whole group of them, they're just, they're just losers. Men. Ugh. Women are all Baptists, Catholics. Whoa. If my dad had only, you know, if my mom hadn't, Eastern Washingtonians, bunch of redneck farmers with guns and, you know, just Western Washingtonians. Well, why don't you get out of our eastern Washington? Go back to western Washington. Get out of our lake in Chelan. Get out of our good camping grounds. Go back to western Washington, you hippies. You bunch of liberals. You western Washingtonians. Right? We, isn't it amazing? All these things. I mean, I can go on and on and on. There's so many of these things that we tell ourselves. But it informs our narratives. It informs how we view and interpret the world when it comes down to the question of I wonder why. Narratives create excuses. Narratives create justifications. They empower us to avoid things that we should not avoid. And they empower us to embrace things that we should stay away from. They fuel our pride. They fuel our racism, our prejudices. And maybe worst of all, it blinds us to our interdependency on others. False narratives, they're so difficult to overcome. They're very very difficult. And here's why. Because our narratives are shaped by things we have no control over. False narratives are shaped by where we are in the world. That's why when you're sitting down on the couch and you're listening to the news and you're like, honey, why are they doing that over there? Why, why, why do they do that? I don't do that. You don't do that. Why can't they just be like Americans, right? Why can't they just be like us? It's because you grew up in a different part of the world. False narratives are shaped by the way we experience the world. You know, you have experiences. I have experiences. You can grow up in the same town as someone and have a completely different experience from them based on their household, based on this and that. So false narratives also uh, are shaped by the way we were raised in the world. Did we have success or not? Did we fail a lot? What was our family like? What was our upbringing? City we lived in? Education? No education? A whole lot has been written about this stuff, you guys. But here's what you already know about your internal narratives. Your internal narratives, those things that you confirm and affirm over and over again, it shapes your decisions. And it has the potential to cause you to become your own worst enemy. Now, here's an interesting kind of cool thing. Um, Paul, 
is this guy that steps into the pages of history. Uh, and if you don't, you know, if you don't like Christians, Paul's your guy because he didn't like Christians and he, he persecuted Christians and he tried to get rid of Christians, but then he became a Christian. So there's that, which is kind of cool about where we're, where we're going to go today. Um, but he never saw Jesus before the resurrection. Okay. He never saw Jesus, but he knew the disciples. He knew James, John, Peter, some of those guys. Okay. But he decides his call on his life is not to stay in the Jewish realm of the world, but he's going to go out to the Gentile parts. He's going to go out to the other people of the world and try to explain to them that God is doing something new, that he's doing something for the whole world. It's new, but his challenge is he's going into these pagan cultures and he's trying to explain to them this whole idea that the God of all creation, the one God, he, he's doing something new, which means that they are to embrace a completely different worldview. A different value system, the value system that was introduced by Jesus, a different worldview, which means that they have to let go of their old worldview. His challenge is huge. I mean, it's crazy to think that he had any traction in this pagan polytheistic world. You know, they believed in all these different gods, all these different beliefs. So in this letter that he's writing that we're going to talk about, he's writing to these non-Jewish Gentile Christians in Corinth, and it's a very wealthy, very secular city where he's trying to get them to rethink their narrative so he employs military terminology. Now, now hang on with me if, if you're, you know, you're not a violent person. You, you just, this, is, this is actually so appropriate what he's talking about because what he's trying to say is getting rid of and tearing down our narratives that we tell ourselves is not a casual endeavor. Paul uses this ex extreme language to say this is going to take work. You're going to have to attack. You're going to have to attack these walls to move forward, to move forward. And once you tear it all down, we rebuild a castle. We rebuild a citadel around the value system and the worldview that Jesus introduced to the world. We build it around Jesus who came to reveal what God is like and what God likes and who God likes. And again, it's so difficult because he's writing to a group of people whose worldview we would find so repugnant right now. I mean, you're just like, how could they ever believe that? And the reason you respond that way, the reason I respond that way is because of where you were raised, where I was raised, how you were raised, where you live, and the period of time you were raised in. We're all victims to this dynamic. But he's writing to a people whose narrative looked like this in the first century. That people are property. It was just assumed. People were property. It didn't matter who you were, where you lived. If Rome decided to come in and conquer you and enslave 20% of the population, it didn't matter if you were rich, poor, or in between. You could become someone's slave just like that. People were property. It was just assumed. The second, might makes right, which means whoever had the strongest army, whoever had the most power, they're the one who gets to make the rules. There was no morality that floated over everybody and how they lived. It was whoever had the most power. Might makes right, and right can change overnight. And the last one is the gods determine the fate of the individuals. If something happens to a child, that was just their fate. If something happens to a woman, that was just their fate. If something happens to a village that you lived in, that was just your fate. The gods, you can't trust them. You just got to worship them and keep them happy, right? So Paul has his, his work cut out for him, but he shows up and he begins to try to help them understand that God, God, Jesus has done something new and you have to renew your mind. You have to renew your thinking to this brand new vision that God is introducing into the world through Jesus. And just as Paul had his work cut out for him then, man, I think he had his work cut out for us if he was here right now with us talking to you and me. 
Because the interesting thing is this, all these things that we see that are so repugnant to us, that are so crazy, they were self-evident to the people in the first century. They were self-evident. And there's so many things that are self-evident to us and they're wrong. And they stand in contrast, in conflict to the kingdom of God that Jesus introduced to the world. So with that in mind, here's what he says to the Christians living in Corinth. Here's what he says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So he starts with this military terminology. Literally, this means we don't conduct our military affairs uh, the way the world does. He goes on. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Okay, so there's weapons. Yeah, there's weapons. And the Greek word idea behind this, it's not talking about swords and shields, but siege equipment, towers that you would roll up to a stone wall that you could, so you could go over it, or, or these catapults that you would launch these rocks to knock down walls, to break these enormous structures. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And a stronghold was a stone wall around a city or a palace or some kind of stone structure. The weapons that we use have the power to destroy even the strongest structures. Structures, To which you're following along, you're going, what, are you, what is he talking about, right? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Does this have anything to do with me? Because I never attack a stone wall. We just don't do that. So he goes on, okay, okay, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. We are demolishing arguments, not physical stone walls, not physical armies. We're demolishing arguments. We're in the process of using all of our skill and all of our might to demolish arguments. Specifically, to tease this out, we are to wage war on flawed conclusions based on false assumptions. Again, let's go back to middle school, high school. You were never wrong, right? You were never wrong. And whoever raised you, if it was your mom, your dad, your, your aunt, your uncle, caretaker, whoever that was, your guardian, they were going to bed at night just pulling their hair going, how do we get through to him? How do we get through to her? And they faced an impenetrable citadel of argumentation. That's what you were. That's what I was in high school and middle school. I mean, they couldn't get through to us. No matter what they said, no matter what they did, they were not going to break through our walls. And Paul's saying, this is what God is trying to do for you. Just what your daddy, your mommy, your caretaker did. They were trying to break through these walls that they could see that weren't getting you to the best place in your life. And God's trying to do that for you. Your heavenly father is trying to do that for you. So he says, we demolish arguments. And then he uses this interesting word in every pretension. Now pretension, there's a couple different English words go a little bit of a different direction on this, but there's a consensus that he's talking about high things, tall things, arrogant attitudes, everything that puffs us up beyond what's true and what's real. Our towering conceit, our presumptuous notions that set itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, we are to assault every single day intentionally, every narrative that stands in contrast to what God has revealed in Christ. And we take captive every thought, every thought. And he's back to this military language, captivity. We lead into captivity. We take as our prisoner. We take prisoners of war and we chain them ankle to ankle, wrist to wrist. We take them. We take captive of those thoughts. We take captive of every thought and make it obedient to Christ. 
He's saying, here's what you got to do, you Corinthians. Here's what you got to do to see, you see the world in such a different way. You've got to take every single thought and you've got to bend it into conformity with Christ and the what he taught and how he lived. You've got to take every attitude. You've got to edit it and bend it and train it so that it's in sync with what Jesus taught and the values that Jesus introduced to the world, that you're to line it up with his value system. Now, the first time that I really started to feel this and recognize this in my life was I had just started going into Bible college and you know I, honestly I never read through the Bible. I didn't have all the verses memorized when I got in Bible college, okay? So I was no Pharisee or anything like that. I didn't have it all down. But I was learning about who Jesus was and I felt that I had a call in my life to learn more about him and be in ministry. And so I was also working at a lumber mill in the summer and up until this point I'd always viewed my job as just a job. It was just something to make money. It was just this thing that, you know, you go from 7 to 3.30 and you go home Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday, you do something else. But as I began to learn about faith and learn about Jesus, it became evident to me that I needed to change the way I was thinking about that job because it wasn't just a job. We don't just have things in our life as people of faith or who follow Jesus that don't have meaning or don't have something that God could try to be involved with. And so I had to begin to start seeing that job as an opportunity to actually live out my faith, to build relationships with the people around me. And it led to me actually having great conversations with guys there and girls there and talking about church, talking about faith and being able to have an influence and an impact in their life. I never know where they might end up or if that did anything, but that wasn't the point. The point was that I could have an influence anywhere and there's always a purpose in something if you're willing to see it because God is a God of purpose and meaning in this world. Nothing happens by accident. And this is why, guys, reading the Gospels is so important. Reading the Gospels, it's so important. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because the Gospels, we get a glimpse of what the world would really look like if Jesus followers, and even people who aren't Jesus followers, if they were to live out what Jesus was trying to say, it would change the world. It would change how everything in our community looks. It would change everything. And in fact, there's this interesting little piece that I, I, I want to share this with you guys because Maybe you've heard this story, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've heard these things. But at the end of Jesus' life, he's hanging out with the guys. He's hanging out with the disciples and, he, and he's about to get arrested and he's about to be crucified. And he's summarizing, he's condensing things. He's, he's trying to get the apostles ready for this moment and, and he's gonna leave. And they're like, where are you going, Jesus? And he's like, I can't tell you. And he's like, you can't come with me either. But, and they're like, well, well, why can't we go with you? And there's lots of confusion. There's all this information. And finally, Philip just goes, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, <laughs> I'm sure this is all really important, but just, just show us the Father. Just, just show us what God's like. If you'll just show us what God's like and what God says, what does God say? And Philip's exactly right. If we could see as God sees, we'd be more inclined to do as God says. And if you could see yourself as God sees you, you'd be more inclined to do what God says. If you could see the people around you the way that God sees them, you'd be more inclined to treat them in such a way that honors God. And Philip's so right. He's just saying, if you could just show us what God's like, that would change everything. That would inform our narrative in our mind, in our life. And then here's what happens in this next moment. And it's, it's, it's so powerful, you guys. It's so powerful. They should have just all got up and left the room. But it's too late because Jesus, he, you know, he said all these crazy things and, and there's all this stuff that he did and they're like, well, okay. 
I mean, this one time he, he says to this guy who's sick, he says, your sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees and the leaders are like, only God can say that. And he's like, yeah. And there, there's this other story, this one time where he goes, he goes, something greater than the temple is here. And they're like, whoa, 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 Jesus. If something greater than the temple is here, then we don't need the temple. And he's like, just saying, yeah. Uh, so, so they've seen this over and over again. And so Philip says, just show us the Father, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he smiles. And I think he looks at you and he looks at me and, and he says, don't you know me, Philip? <laughs> Philip's like, I didn't ask to know you. Show me God. Show me the Father. I didn't ask to know you. Don't you know me, Philip? I mean, this is so blasphemous. They should have all gotten up. They should have left. They should have been like, we're leaving. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time. And I'm telling you guys, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. This is the invitation of a lifetime in this literature that we have access to 24-7 in the Gospels. Don't miss this. He says, Jesus says this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Has seen the Father. What, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, do you want to know what God is like, the creator of the universe? Watch me. Do you want to know what God is like? Listen to me. Do you want to know what God is like? Follow me. Do you want to know what God thinks about the people who you don't like and who don't like you and, and this and that and all these other things? Follow me. Listen to me. Watch me. Do you want to live a liberating, life-giving narrative? One that's going to correctly inform your conscience and correct, correct your false assumptions, inform your behavior, and ultimately change your attitude, even towards the people you have nothing in common with, the people who are nothing like you, the people you have difficulty liking, then follow me, Jesus says, because I have come to introduce the kingdom of God to earth and everyone, everyone is invited to participate in it. But you're never gonna fully participate in it if you don't Go hard after the walls that support all your incorrect thinkings, all your incorrect assumptions, all the wrong ways of viewing yourself and the people around you and the way the world works. You've got to tear it all down. Jesus is saying, follow me. If you really want to see what the world's supposed to be, follow me. Follow me, the author of life, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe. Follow me. Follow me and you'll see the world as it really is. The world is broken, but that my Father, God, redeems broken things. Follow me, and you'll begin to understand as an individual that you really do matter to God. Follow me, and you'll begin to understand that the you beside you really matters to God, which means the you beside you should matter to you because the you beside you matters to God. Regardless of your political persuasion or where they live, or how they live, or how they treat you. And so then Paul closes the same passage in 2 Corinthians that we've been talking about with words that could be easily misunderstood. But he's making such a powerful point. He says this, and we will be ready. Military language again, right? We will be at attention. We will be on guard. We will be ready. We will be ready to punish. And what the idea of punish is, 
is to bring to justice, to, to respond appropriately to. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. The overall idea is this, that we as individuals, we as individuals, whether you're a believer or not, this is good stuff, that we should be ready to react swiftly to our old negative narratives that start cropping back up. That we should be willing to respond quickly when we forget to bend our attitudes and bend our thoughts and bend our presuppositions towards the words of Jesus and the way he lived and towards obedience in Christ. That we should be responding quickly, swiftly, when we ourselves start rebuilding old walls that keep people out and walls that shut in people who are only like us around us. So here's the question. And just hang in with me. We're almost done here. Here's the question. It's not, it's not a trick question, okay? I'll go ahead and give you the answer to the question. And the answer is yes. So, so if you're in your home group or you're online, repeat with me after me. Yes. Okay, one more time. Yes. Got any strongholds that need to be demolished? Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you do. And you say, ah, that's so judgmental. But how can you say it? No, it's not judgmental. It's just true. It's true of you. It's true of me. Why? Because I can't help the way I was raised or where I live or, or where you were raised or where you live or what you were taught or what you weren't taught or how much education you have or lack of education you have, the things that happened to you, the things that didn't happen to you. You can't help any of that. I can't help any of that. So consequently, we are always, always at war potentially, with the narratives that want to creep up and misinterpret the world around us. So what do, I, what do we do now? What do I do now? At Real Life, we, we try to have next steps. You know, we want to take what we just talked about, what we just learned, and hopefully we can apply it. We can do something with it. Because the idea is we want to talk about things that can be positive in our lives and help us move forward in faith, wherever you're at, whether you're 20 years down the road, maybe you're just starting, maybe you're still thinking about it. What's something we can do? And so the first one's this. This doesn't require much action except for right in your mind. You know, you can do this right now. Identify a narrative that you have subscribed to that has a negative impact on you and others. We can all think of things, you know, you start thinking about this thing in your head and, and you start to boil up and you get angry or, or it causes you to get negative or shut down or something. It's a negative thing identify it. Identify that narrative. What, what's a narrative that you can identify? Second one, commit to demolishing a narrative that conflicts with the value system introduced by Jesus. Now, if, if you're a person of faith, if you're a person who says, you know, you follow in the ways of Jesus and you want, you're a Jesus follower, you don't have any excuse on this one. This is part of being a Jesus follower. When we have thoughts, when we have things that we do that stand in contrast to the way that Jesus laid out how the world is supposed to be and how we're supposed to interact with people, that's not following after him. We are to love. And love is simple, but it's super demanding. So if you have a narrative that is causing you to have hatred towards someone or a group of people, you need to break that down. It needs to be demolished. And lastly, consider, 
subscribing to a narrative, the narrative that Jesus has for the world. If you're a person who's on the fence about Jesus or about faith, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, you gotta get in and read the gospels. It, it's gonna change your life. He had a, the best narrative. If Jesus is who he says he was, he says he was God. He told that to us clearly. If he is God, if he is the creator of the universe, if he is the author of life, then he has a narrative that is good. He has a narrative that's gonna change people's lives in a positive way. And there's thousands of stories, story in my own life, of other people's life, of where he's done this. Consider subscribing to that narrative because it's gonna be the best decision you've ever made. And it's gonna begin to help you sift through the narratives. Maybe a lot of those narratives that you saw in 2020 that were super difficult. There's a firm foundation in Jesus. There's a firm narrative in Jesus that you can hang on to, you can cling to, and you can move forward in. I'm hoping, I'm praying that you will consider giving Jesus your life, giving him uh, the ability to write the narrative in your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you didn't leave us alone, Lord. You, you sent Jesus. You, you gave people the ability to see who Jesus was and realize the, the importance of who he was and write that down. And that was handed down to us in the gospels over 2,000 years, Lord, from people who were eyewitnesses to who you were and what you did and how you lived your life. And God, I just pray that we would see you for who you really were. Because when we truly see you as God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, it changes our narratives and for the better, God. Help us to do that. Help us to find those narratives that are getting in the way and to break them down and to rebuild a beautiful structure on the firm foundation of Jesus. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you guys have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. Don't forget, if you are a teenager, we are hosting an event in just a couple hours. That's at one o'clock in the Slidewaters parking lot. Make sure you bring a mask. Other than that, get ready for lunch, s'mores, games, raffle, all kinds of fun stuff. We'll see all of our high school and middle school friends there. Other than that, we'll see you next week.